to the Succession Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Hine. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Teresa Benning. Teresa is the owner of Benning Small Business Advisors in Salem, Massachusetts, not far from where I grew up in Framingham, Mass. I first met Teresa about four years ago when we completed a succession plan for her Connecticut-based wealth management practice. Teresa is going to talk to us about the decision-making process that led her to sell what the acquisition process entailed, more importantly, what she's doing now as a small business advisor. So for me, it's always a joy to see that transition from one career, making the decision, and then moving on to a new career, knowing that you are comfortable in the decision you made. So welcome, Teresa. Thank you, Tom. So I'd like to start off, um, if you can go back and uh, in the time machine, right, about four or five years ago, what was it like when you started the due diligence process in picking a succession advisor? Specifically, can you give us a sense of your mindset and your expectations when you started the process as opposed to, you know, as it evolved? Sure. I had a really good picture of the advisor that I was looking for. I wasn't sure I could find that firm that could meet those expectations because okay. those expectations were pretty high, but I was hopeful. I was looking for a firm that could serve my clients in the same manner that they were accustomed to being served and give each and every one of them the time and attention that they needed. I was also looking for something that I was struggling to give them. As my client list grew and the portfolio grew, I was looking for someone who would treat each and every one of those clients with a system that could help them uh, grow those portfolios. That it was something that was becoming very time consuming for me and I could not give them the time and attention that they wanted. So I really needed a wealth manager that was going to give them, that was large enough and had a system that was going to give them that time and attention uh, that they needed. I wasn't looking for a cookie cutter advisor that would put my clients in a cookie cutter portfolio. Right. And I understand because you and I have talked about this before is that, you know, these clients become like family. They're our friends and, you know, we want to give them the best advice possible and not every client can be seen equally to the other client. They can be the same age. They could live in the same town. But as you know, the budgeting, the decision-making process is often very different from client to client. So once you got into the middle of the vetting process, and I don't think we ever needed to cover this at the time, but looking back, I don't even know, you know how many firms you had talked to. I know you talked to several. What changed, if anything, in your mindset when you started interviewing firms and hearing what they were you know, pitching you? Did anything change in your mindset? And if not, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned anyway for other advisors who you know haven't gone down your journey yet? It's funny. I don't think my mindset ever changed. I actually became more adamant that the ah. advisor that was going to take over my business was going to have the same customer care and ethics that I displayed. Um, it would have been easy to sell my business for more money, but I would have had to compromise my vision for my clients. Actually, it's not a lesson that I learned as much as reinforced not all advisors are created equal. Right, right. And I have heard this from other advisors too. And I don't know if you can speak, you know, without mentioning names, but I have heard, and this just happened even a month ago, of firms coming in 
sort of making these disingenuous offers or promises, knowing that when the legal documents hit, you know, it's not what they said. Did you ever find that? I know our process was different, but did you ever find that prior to when you engaged us? Had you other people making you promises or did you vet them out because you knew instinctively they weren't going to fit your model or your vision? Well, you know, I did, I did a lot of vetting early on before I even sat down and talked to somebody. So the real bad apples did get weeded out. But uh, there were some new and interesting characters that surfaced after that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it was mainly the ones that promise you the world, but you know they can't deliver it. Yeah. You know, just because you know the business as well as you do. And then there's the ones that, you know, when I looked into their background, they talked a good game. But when I really looked at the broker check, I it was very questionable. And to this day, I'm always surprised when I see a financial advisor that has marks on their broker check. You know, it's like, oh. Right. Yeah. It can be a surprise because people can come off one way in person, but in reality, there are skeletons in the closet. So did you have any fears or concerns about your ability to let go and move on to another phase of life? I'll explain what I've seen with other advisors. So, and if so, I don't think you did, but if so, what can you share with other advisors? And if you didn't have any major concerns, what lessons can you share with other advisors? Because I have seen typically more men than women have the difficulty in letting go, but I'll let you speak to your own feelings of that. Now that surprises me because I would have thought it's the women because we tend to look at our clients as our children. Yeah. So you have the same fears of letting go there. So my advice is to go slow with the letting Mm -hmm. go process. Make sure that the process feels comfortable for you, but keep reminding yourself that the sooner you uh, get through the letting go process, the faster you get to move on to your next phase. That's so important. And did you already have a plan? I I don't recall if we had discussed this, but did you already know? I knew you were talking about moving to the Boston area, but did you already have a plan of bending small business advisors in your mind? Yeah, I actually wrote that plan before I even uh, put my business up for sale. Wow. If I I was going to sell my business, I I wanted to know what I was going to do next. That makes complete sense because in many situations over the past 15 years that I've been doing this, I found that sometimes the deals that didn't work out, people didn't have a clear plan of what was next. You know, Um, I remember just as an aside, but I remember one gentleman from, let's say, out of state, wasn't from Connecticut. We were literally here at this conference table about to do the closing. This was several years before I met you. But um, and I think this person was so distraught that they saw all the things that we were going to offer because I have a team, obviously, I couldn't do it myself, that he literally got to closing, sat there and said, I can't do this. And I realized at that moment, he didn't have a plan also for what he was going to do the next day. But more importantly, he felt bad. And I said, well, the whole point of a succession plan is introducing yourself, you know, your your clients to a team that can do all the things that you didn't have the time, effort, energy to do. So some people, yeah, look at it as a defeat. And I think other folks like you who get it say, no, this is a success story. This is having my clients taken care of the way I wanted to, not going for the highest dollar, but going for the most ethical approach. Um, And I commend you for that. So how did your clients adapt to the new environment? I know I sat in on some of the newer meetings myself. We know that Jordan's done a phenomenal job of all the great client stuff he does, but how did you find, did they ever pull you aside, talk to you on the phone, you know, share with you any concerns? I'm, I'm always curious how that communication happened or what you thought about that process. 
So my clients have always been very comfortable talking to me, and I always encourage that. They're not afraid to push back on something that I tell them. So I love this about most of them. So I address their fears head on. And I was as transparent as I could possibly be. I assured them that I would always still be around to take to make sure that they were being taken care of. Because after all, when we kick our kids out of the nest, we we don't just abandon them. So, you know, any of them know they could pick up the phone and call me and just chat with me whenever they want. Right. And did you find process where uh, for the audience, I'll share that we often have summary letters written right of every meeting or discussion where you were CC'd on. Did you find that process? Um, we now use, I think, what's called mobile assistant, but then it was copy talk. Did you find that that process of knowing what was communicated to your clients, but knowing you would get a CC of it, was that helpful? Was it informative? Give us a, give us a sense of what you thought about that. You know, it was very helpful, but more so than that, Jordan was great at picking up the phone and talking to me after he talked with one of my clients. Anytime he had to talk to them ahead of time, if he wanted to just bounce some things off of me, he'd pick up the phone and, and talk to me. I absolutely adored that about him. And I still do. I still, I still do. It made me feel comfortable that he was addressing their issues, that he knew exactly where they were. I got, I got a lot of satisfaction and comfort from that. That's great to hear. Well, yeah, exactly. We call it, you know, old school where you actually pick up the phone and talk to people. Not everything can be done by email. And I think that is so important because especially where I've found, even with my own clients where, you know, I've had people 15, 20 years, I think I know them well. And then some life event or something happens and I go, wow, I didn't know that about them. So even again, from my own learning, when I've sat there with my own clients, sometimes they shared things with me that I either hadn't known, haven't been privy to whatever reason. And I learned something new and then I communicate differently with them from that point on. And as you said, having that pick up the phone. So I'm so pleased to hear that. That's great. So is there anything, you know, looking back, there's a classic question. What do you know now that you wish you had known then? Or for the audience, you know, what should they know now if they're going to begin that process that you can impart wisdom? So however you want to answer that question, I'll leave that one up to you. So I wish I knew how comfortable I was going to be with the process. I was very, very anxious. And I think both you and Jordan knew that. Yeah. Um, yep. And you guys were great at um, holding my hand and assuring me that it was going to be okay. Um, co- the constant talking to me and getting a feel for where my head was, was very helpful in, in turning what I thought was going to be a very stressful situation and a, a stressful process uh, and turning it around and making it very comfortable for me. Great. Well, yeah, we felt that uh, in all that process, I know that a lot of times it's the words that you choose, the tone, the pacing and all that matters. And the reason why I say that is I've always put myself and my team, you know, let's say in your shoes and I go, wow, what would it be like if I had to take five, 10, 20, 30 years of work and turn it over to somebody, you know, how would I feel? And so we wanted to make really sure that all along the way, you had plenty of veto power, you know, step in, let us know on any client situation, what was either very, very important to have happen or very important to avoid, you know, something not happening. I mean, just the other day, I'll show you, I had a review in here 
with one of my longtime clients. She's in her 80s, and we're going to have her daughter come in at some point to do a review uh, because I want, you know, her daughter would be executrix of her estate. And the funny thing was, as long as I've known this client, she said, oh, yeah, all of this part of the portfolio you can share, but this one big holding, I don't, I don't want them to know. I was like, well, I'm glad you told me because we have to remove that, you know, from the portfolio temporarily when we do the review. And those are the things I wouldn't have known. Not that she was, she wanted to be a surprise to her children when they inherit this, not that she was hiding it from a bad standpoint. It was mostly like saying, I want them to be pleasantly surprised. And so therefore, when my daughter comes in, I don't want her to know this. And I immediately went and told my team, hey, if this client comes in again with her daughter, you cannot have this particular asset, you know, in the portfolio. I never would have known that, you know. In terms of if you were sharing advice, somebody who is just beginning the process, you know, knowing we're sort of post-COVID, they now are looking at their new future. Are there a few things, I think many of what the things you did were right on, but are there a few things you would tell them saying, uh, we talked about take your time, you know, don't be in a rush, maybe have a written system of what the guidelines, what you're looking for. So share with the audience, if you were to sit across a table from someone saying, I've been in your shoes, I know the journey, or at least part of the journey you're about to undertake, share with me what you would tell them. I think having the vision and having it written down for what you're looking for is important because I literally took every candidate that a that contacted me and I I put them up against that list and they either made the cut or they didn't because you'll find out um, that when you put your business up for sale in this industry, you're going to have a lot of people contacting you. And yeah. you've, you've got to do that first level of vetting or you're just going to be left crazy. And so if they did not measure up to that initial list, they didn't. They, they got a, a thank you phone call, but no thank you. So I think that's important. And when you go to take the next step, I think when you have this list of prospective buyers in front of you, you know, hone down on that list, make it a little more detailed so that now when you're talking to this list of people, okay, and I had, I had told myself that this, I was going to get this list down to anywhere from five to 10 because I thought that was manageable. And I don't really remember how many it was, but these were the ones I was going to meet with. And these were the questions that I was going to ask, trying to vet out particular things that I wanted for my clients. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't want to really hear their dog and pony show. Right. I wanted I wanted them to, to answer questions that, that I had. And again, I was very transparent in this process. I told people how I felt, told them what I was looking for. I told them, you know, the, we're not even talking about money until the very end, because that's my last you know, that's my last thing of importance. And from there, I think I t brought it down to three advisors. And then out of the three, for me, it was a no-brainer. Wow. Uh, we're humbled. Yeah. When we speak to that, I know you and I did have a conversation a while ago when it came to the legal forums, but could you share with the audience what were for you, what became crystal clear at some point? It happened to be our firm, but you know, the firm that met your criteria, when did it become with the remaining three, like so obvious, or I should maybe ask what details, you know, what circumstances made it that your mind, you were crystal clear about the right firm? I think it was the day that you and Jordan were sitting in my office. The, you two together was the combination for me. 
you, Tom, your experience in the business, how to do this with another advisor. You had already done it. Yeah. Um, and, and that played a big role because I talked to people who didn't do it before and they were leaning on me for answers that I didn't have. Right. You know, and and nothing like the blind leading the blind there. Right. Um, but then at the same time, when I saw all your experience, I saw Jordan's youthful ambition. Yeah. You know, uh, a young guy in this business, very excited about the business. You know, I, I connected with him on the level of probably where I was in the beginning of the business when I was a lot younger. Right. Uh, he seems he seemed to me like we were the same kind of person. So I could picture my clients getting very comfortable with him very fast. And in the end, that's what happened. You know, you were there to guide. You were the wisdom, the the, uh, the experience to guide us through this process. And and he was the young blood to come out come and take over, you know, for, for someone who's been in the business and is on her way out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. And it is important because, you know, they often say like in real estate, you know, if you're thinking about buying a place or one of the classic lines is, can you see yourself here, you know, with your family and, and your kids around the holidays, you know, can you envision it? So obviously you were able to envision that. And uh, right. the team, as you know, has grown since then, but I was honored that Jordan was there at that time. So can you share some ways in which you know your clients have benefited from working with Capital Wealth in our process, because we do have, as you found out, uh, a unique process. A lot of firms will claim to have it. Some do, many don't. And, you know, between our charting, the system that we use for looking at money and all that, just sort of comment a bit on how you felt the clients have benefited. I know we've expanded the use of our software since we met you as well. So, well, and you know, that, that kind of hits the nail right on the head because that's what I was looking for going into this process was someone that had a different approach to the uh, wealth management and handling portfolios than uh, the majority of the wealth management companies out there that attracted me to you, your software. I was very uh, fascinated with it. I was fascinated how it's used um, on the individual portfolio level and begins to, you know, from a macro picture, begins to micro manage that portfolio and how, you know, basically um, you, you can make individual decisions for everybody's individual portfolio uh, and you could do it on a daily basis. That, you know, that just blew my mind. Uh, and that was something I knew that I would never have uh, the time to be doing on my own, you know, as a sole advisor. Um, so to this day, that's what I think is the biggest benefit. Uh, and we've seen the benefits of it, you know, in some of these turbulent times that we've already gone through in this short amount of time that, that you've had my, my clients' uh, portfolios. Um, they, they continue to see good results um, on how a really good, portfolio can perform even inside a, a weak market or a bad market or a turbulent market. You know, you, 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 I never wanted to promise my clients the world and you guys don't either. Right. You know? That's so important. You're right. Because you don't want to have expectations that can't be met. Right. But it's, you know, this, this software that you use and, and how you have human interaction with the software, I think is important really makes for a stronger portfolio. And, and I've seen it. I've seen these portfolios really por uh, perform and become robust. 
Thank you. And by the way, this is a, a shout out to you. So the audience wouldn't know this, but many years ago, well before COVID, um, we were using, there was Zoom, obviously, and some other software. But I chuckle as I think about this. You might remember the meeting, one of your first meetings with your out-of-state client in Virginia. I had always been used to doing meetings in this conference room live, obviously. And we had the client, uh, you know, on the camera, uh, on the uh you know, on the sort of the, I say the camera with, I don't know if it was a Microsoft Surface Pro or whatever, but you were the one that said, uh, Tom, I got to remind you to look at the camera when you're talking to the client. And I was so humbled because I realized in that sense, you had sort of leapfrog technology or ahead of your peers at the time and using that connectivity. Little did we know later on that Zoom would below, you know, balloon to a hundred times the user base mm -hmm. in a short time. So that was another example of you being proactive, you know, with your own clients and using that. So although, although I know I'm a bit biased in asking this, given how well it went, you know, the transition, and this is not unusual, every advisor I've ever talked to uh, has trepidation, has fear. In fact, it's completely normal, right, to have that. But given all that, would you have any recommendations to others about when they should at least start the process? You know, sometimes the process can take a year for people to be comfortable. It can take six months or whatever, like, do you wish you had started earlier or is there any, any wisdom to share with other people? Cause I think too many advisors delay that process and then they get to the point where they get overwhelmed, you know, with all the people calling them. So any wisdom to share on that end, you know, if it wasn't you who started earlier, should others start earlier and what time frame should they allow for themselves? So Tom, I'm a firm believer, and I, I, I advise my small business clients this as well. Uh, if you're going to start a business, know how you're going to get out of that business. You know, whether yeah. it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, what's your end game? What do you want to get from this business before you get out of this business? And how do you see the possibility of getting out of it? Uh, too often, I think small business owners get into a business and say, yeah, we'll just see how it goes. But what happens is you, you end up losing the vision of the purpose of that business. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, is it to put food on the table for the family? Is it to um, fulfill your retirement dreams? Is it to have a succession of another family member? You know, know what you want to get out of your business. So from the time I had a business, I always had a reason to be there and knew when I was going to leave. That now, is very intelligent. Well, and not that it was always the same. It, it drifted a little, the details changed, the process changed. Um, but I always knew that I was going to get out of business and I always knew I wanted to sell it. Of course, early on, I thought I was going to pass it on to my son who quickly told me he wanted no parts of what I did. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, that there changed. I knew that, that it wasn't going to be a family succession story. Um, right. so, um, you know, then I knew I, I had to build the book of business in a certain way so that it could be sold. Right. Um, and that's really what put me in the direction to be a, a fee for service financial advisor, uh, because I really thought it was a better way to sell your book of business. But as I went, I, I was always looking at, OK, how do you get out? You know, what do you have to do to get out? And when is the point that we're going to get out? I think my transition came exactly when it was supposed to happen. Yeah. And again, I think to your credit, you had a game plan. You knew what the next step was. Right. And uh, I have to remind advisors sometimes 
a lot of times, you know, you might catch them in a bad market or a tough year or, you know, a compliance audit just finished. They go, that's it. I'm done with this business, you know, and I, I know how they would feel. And then a month later they go, ah, well, things aren't so bad, you know? So without that motivation of the next step, uh, sometimes they can't get through where they need to be. The other one is that you were smart is not waiting till there was a major health issue. You know, some advisors, they unintentionally, I'll say this, but they wait, there's a major health issue. I can't tell you in the last year and a half how many firms we spoke to where that came up. And of course, it's bad enough or more difficult to decide to sell your life's work, but juggle that at the time where you're having, you know, doctors of visits and, and all the medical things that go along with that, it can be it can be overwhelming, you know. So um, again, a credit to you for having that written game plan. So can you tell me now, fast forward, you know, looking back, um, tell me what you're doing now with Benning Small Business Advisors. And if, again, if you were sitting, you know, across uh, a table from someone uh, grabbing a coffee or if you're at lunch, how would you explain to them if they said, you know, I've been meaning to get, you know, a small business advisor or help, explain to them and to, and to me, what is it you're doing now and your focus and where you find your forte? So when I was I was doing individual and family financial planning, I found myself meeting with a lot of small businesses, business owners. And when I say small, I mean micro, uh, not just small business, micro business. But we found out during COVID that this makes up 80% of our economy. Mm-hmm. So there was there's this huge chunk of people that has been underserved by financial advisors they're thought to be too small i can't help them mm-hmm. um what they need help with is the hands-on financial part of their business mm-hmm. you know why am i having cash flow problems should i take this debt what mm-hmm. do i do with the debt that i have uh what's my long-term picture how can I how can I bring down my cost of bringing this product to market? And these are all questions that they really have nobody to help them answer mm-hmm. um, because uh, financial advisors don't really do it, right. and business consultants won't go down to that level with a small uh, business client. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was a nice little niche where I could go in and build the same relationship with a client and say, look. I realize that this business could make or break your family financial future. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to make this business as stable as possible so that you can also accomplish those family financial goals? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started getting in there and doing the dirty work with them. Cash flow analysis, you know, key, key indicators, you know, and, and, trying to teach them more so than just telling them because Mm -hmm. a lot of them have CPAs that just tell them and they don't really understand. So it it gave me an opportunity to put my little educator hat on and explain to them, why is this important? Where does this number come from? That's a big one. A lot of them don't understand where a number comes from and why, why is that number so important? And so it was just, it was an area that I just was having so much fun with. Mm-hmm. And knew that that market was so much bigger than I could handle at the point. So now that's all I'm doing. And most of my business comes from referral. Yeah. Uh, and and if it's a business that's struggling or not understanding, um, I get a call. They said, you know, so-and-so call- told me that you're the one I need to talk to. Mm-hmm. That I've got problems in this business that I got to straighten out. 
And uh, I love to be the problem solver for them. Yeah, no, you're great at that. And I remember our earlier meetings with your clients, you'd have the spreadsheets, the cash flow, and you would chuckle with them saying, oh, we talked about that, you know, that expense or that vacation idea. So you, you definitely intimately knew their situation well enough and they felt comfortable with you, which, which was important. So as I go to summarize the things that we spoke about today were obviously you had a written plan of action. You knew what you were looking for in your succession partner and you held to those standards to your credit. So you had that going for you. You also were patient. You know, this wasn't a fire sale. You ran your practice really well. Uh, you knew the type of advisor you wanted. You were willing to interview, you know, several different firms, right? To, you have to live through the, the dog and pony shows. So those were all going for you. And then more importantly, um, you had to trust at some point. Like you said, the meeting with Jordan and I, there's a point where, and I know this too, it's like a client when they hand over their entire retirement savings, as much as they hear and see and know you can do it, there's that bridge of trust where you go, oh my gosh, this is really happening, you know, and that I'll always remember is such an important aspect, you know, of your ability to do that. And yet once you let go, you were able to free yourself, you know, for the new environment, you were able to, you know, sell your house in Connecticut, establish the new environment. And then, like you said, knowing that the clients, this is really important, anytime they wanted, including today, they could reach out to you, call you, they know you would be there. And with your interaction with Jordan, it's it's worked out so great. And I couldn't be more pleased. Now, keep in mind, by the way, it just got announced, but we'll send you the email on our big client event, which of course you're invited to, where we hope, you know, after two years of COVID, we get to see everyone in person. So stay tuned for that. Great. So with that, if you can tell the audience how they can reach you and you have, you know, you can spell out the website if you want, but definitely let them know phone number, website, how they could get a hold of you. Um, that would be important too. Sure. So uh, it's an easy one, www.benningsmallbusinessadvisors.com. Uh, and they can reach me at 203-525-4886 or shoot me a me an email at teresabenning at outlook.com. Yeah, so they can reach you that way. And uh, more importantly, I've always said this, having grown up in Massachusetts, this is on my bucket list. It's a simple one. I want to get up to Salem around Halloween for obvious reasons. Oh, anyone it's that, a big party. <laughs> any, anyone that knows Salem and the history of Salem, Mass. Um, so that is on my, on my list of things to do. So thank you all. And so until next time, thank you for joining me on the Succession Fit podcast. And we'll see everyone soon. Have a great day. Thank you, Tom.